This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Settling in a new city can raise lots of questions. How does the bus service work? Can I join the local library? Where do I go to get advice on renting a home? Over the next half hour, the team from Citizens Advice Bureau bring you all the latest news and information of special interest to new migrants settling in Dunedin. Welcome to Resettling in Aotearoa with Citizens Advice Bureau. Kia ora koutou, ko ana toku ingoa, my name's Anna and I'm the manager at Citizens Advice Bureau and today we have um, Ali Carroll who is the advisor for community readiness and recovery at Fire and Emergency New Zealand. Kia ora Anna, thanks so much for having me. Firstly, I guess it's really important all New Zealand households remember to install working fire alarms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And check their working regularly. Um, Maybe... Why are they so important? Yeah, great question. So um, ultimately, smoke alarms are uh, the most important tool for early detection of fire in the home. Um, And because fire moves so fast, early detection is key in getting out before that fire becomes fatal. Uh, A wee fact that I really um, I find quite interesting um, and and telling in this area is that uh, of the house fires that result in injury in New Zealand each year, 80% do not have working smoke alarms, um, which I think yeah really speaks to the importance of 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 those. Yeah, that's very high number, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. So their placement in the house must be very important. Um, Where do you recommend there are working smoke alarms? Yeah, uh, good question. So the absolute minimum is to have one working smoke alarm in the main entry of your home Um, so that that you should need – sorry, so you should need to get out. Um, That's going to, yeah, um, keep that path clear. Um, However, having a working smoke alarm in all bedrooms and living spaces is much safer and what we like to recommend. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have had experience with the smoke alarm in or close to the kitchen going off because of burning food. I know I definitely have that problem with my toast. Um, We recommend not to have smoke alarms in the kitchen or bathroom areas, but to instead have heat detectors. Um, And that way you don't have to have annoying beeping every time you're burning your toast like me. Um, You can get those um, from, yeah, Bunnings or Minor 10 in the same place that you would get your smoke alarms. And are they around about the same price? No, they unfortunately are a wee bit more expensive, so not as accessible for everybody, um, but uh, a good option if you can afford it. For sure. Um, And so what about... There must be some differences in all the quality or the brands, I guess. Is there? Um, are they all created equal? What are the minimum requirements of a reliable smoke alarm? Yeah, so all smoke alarms that are sold in New Zealand have to meet international standards. Uh, and so in that sense, you can't go wrong. You're not going to buy a, a dud um, at all. But in terms of new technology, FENS recommends photoelectric long life uh, alarms. Uh, so, and, and also interconnected alarms are also becoming more popular. So these are systems that are connected by Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. And so if one alarm goes off, the rest are triggered. And that's quite a good option for um, if you have a bigger house or external rooms like garages uh, or sleep outs that need protecting as well. Um, 
The other thing is that, yeah, as you said earlier, you should also be regularly testing your alarms and cleaning them of dust. Um, obviously, where you know that the campaign that we have about checking your smoke alarms um, with daylight saving is great, uh, but also, yeah, cleaning them regularly. Um, also, and this is something I didn't know before I started at Fens, which is interesting. Um, smoke alarms actually also expire, and so I've <laughs> I've recently been to a house where um, the smoke alarm in the in the hallway was older than myself, um, which is really interesting. So what we like to say is that um, after ten years, you yeah they should be should be replaced. Um, and the way that you can um, check the expiry date, uh, if you un- unscrew it from, from the ceiling, um, there should be a manufacturer date on there and just go 10 years from that. Um, and that will give you your expiry. And so that's even if you, when you test it, it's still working, they yeah. still recommend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we, we just know that they become less reliable after after yeah. that time. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Mm. So, rental properties. Um, yeah. The landlord has to provide smoke alarms during the whole tenancy. What else do tenants and landlords need to know about smoke alarms and who's responsible for for them? Yeah. So, really important. Uh, landlords are legally obligated to provide uh, working smoke alarms in in their tenanted properties. Um, these must be within three meters of each bedroom door or in every room where someone sleeps. And then also if it's a multi-level house on, on each level of, of the house, um, in terms of ongoing maintenance, that's where it kind of gets a bit blurry. And I know that this is the case with a lot of things with landlord tenant relationships, but, um, so it's the landlord's job to obviously ensure that the alarms remain in working order, but it's up to the tenant to not be removing them or damaging them. Um, and that kind of comes back to that discussion about smoke alarms in the kitchen. Um, I know that it's tempting, you know, to take them down um, if they're going off with the cooking, so making sure that you've got them in, in other spaces of the house. So um, fire is disorientating. And but black smoke makes it hard to see, hear, and think. So escape pans are basically um, the fastest, safest way to get out of your house. Yeah. So tell, talk to us a little bit about the importance of an escape plan and and how quickly um, fire can threaten life. Yeah, absolutely. So smoke alarms and escape plans um, really go hand in hand in terms of importance, um, and we know that it can only take can only take up to three minutes for fire to become fatal. So to have a a pre-prepared escape plan means you don't have to spend that time thinking about where to go and and how to get out. Um, Yeah. And so what do people need to think about when they're they're building an escape plan and and where maybe could they go for for a little bit more help to build that? Is this... Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, so your escape plan needs to have three steps to it. Uh, and the first, so the first escape route, the second escape route, if the first is blocked or obscured, um, and then also a meeting place. Um, so a lot of families use their letterboxes, their agreed meeting point in an emergency, um, which is great because it's obviously quite easy to remember and often far enough from the house. Um, 
the Escape My House website is a great resource and it'll take you through building each of these steps. Um, there's also kind of like an interactive um, video to to watch as, as you're preparing it. And I think what it does is it really reinforces that idea that, yeah, fire can be really disorienting. Um, and so you're not going to, not always going to be able to just walk out the door. Um, yeah, which is a good message. And so what's that website? Uh, escapemyhouse.co.nz. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, and what about, what? what's your recommendation about um, practising yeah, escape plans? Absolutely. I mean, like really practising them. Yeah. I mean, especially if there are kids in the house or, or people who need assistance with escaping. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. The clearer your three-step escape plan for everyone, absolutely the better. Yeah. Um, so one in four house fires starts in the kitchen. Mm. So making the kitchen fire safe is really important. Um, what are the, what are the, some of the things that people can do to reduce the risk of a fire starting in the kitchen? Yeah. I, so alcohol is involved in half of all fatal fires. Um, so drinking while cooking is an absolute no. Um, we advise that if you are, um, planning on having a few drinks that you have a pre-prepared meal or, or takeaways. Um, the other thing is unattended cooking. So having the pot on the stove while you're also doing something in the other room, um, that is, is another big problem. So if you need to walk away, making sure to switch things off first, um, the other thing is keeping flammable items such as tea towels and curtains well away from the cooking area um, is, is another good tip. Um, I, and I guess the last one uh, is it's yeah just keeping that stove top nice and nice and clean so that there aren't those um, uh, build ups of, of fat and other other things to, to cause fire. Yeah, that could ignite. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so how do people deal with a fire that starts on the stovetop or in the oven? What's the best way to deal with it? Yeah, it's a great question. So if your um, if your fry pan is on fire, um, place the lid on of the fry pan, a wet tea towel or another large flat object, kind of like a, like a chopping board, um, over the pan to starve the fire of oxygen. That's the absolute best thing you can do, starving the fire of oxygen. Never, ever throw water on it. Um, that's just going to make it bigger. Um, and then if the fire is in your oven, um, turning off the gas or electricity is, is a good place to start. And keep the door shut probably so you don't let oxygen get in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I notice uh, you shouldn't ever try to carry any of the things that are burning on top of the stove anywhere either, should you? No, that's just going to make it spread. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so winter mm. has its own unique fire dangers that the community needs to be aware of. Can you tell us a bit about fireplaces, log burners, chimney safety? Yeah, um, so it's really important that people have their chimneys and flues cleaned each season to prevent the build-up of material. Um, I know know how hard that can be in Dunedin to get an appointment, so maybe getting onto that sooner rather than later, although today's quite cold, isn't it? So maybe people are already burning. Um, People should also always remember to use a fire or spark guard when using an open fire, Um, and like with all other heat sources, and I think we're going to talk about that, 
in a minute, um, there must be at least one metre distance between any flammable materials in the fireplace. Um, so this is especially important, obviously, uh, as we get into winter, it gets quite tempting to yeah, dry your clothes in front of the fire. Um, so yeah, keeping that clothes horse at least a metre away um, is super important. Yeah. And I guess I was just thinking um, people are sometimes tempted to probably throw things, rubbish on the fire too, mm. which is probably a big no-no, isn't it? That, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So ash disposal, that you always read about that causing problems. Um, mm. You know, fire starts a few days later and people have disposed of ash in a can. Yeah. It yeah. hasn't disting- um, extinguished properly. So um how long can heat remain in ash? Yeah, um, we know that it can uh, stay warm for up to five days, which I think is quite surprising. I, I always find that stat quite su- surprising, but we know that, um, yeah, ashes that stay warm and are disposed of um, improperly are, are a big cause of fire. Um, so making sure when you're taking the ash from the fireplace that it's in a metal bucket, not anything cardboard or plastic, um, and then um, giving it a good douse of with water before it goes into the, the wheelie bin. Um, yeah, we see, we see a number of wheelie bins on fire sometimes. Yeah. Mm. Well, the old school ash cans, like you don't see many of them around anymore, but that's what they were actually designed for, wasn't it? The big, nice metal ones. With yeah, the metal exactly. They're yeah. All, we need them back. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I know people, um, I've seen people repurpose like good metal um, paint paint cans, which is which is. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah, well, we've just found a, I don't know where else come from, but we've got a metal container that, and then we just fill it up and leave it outside, like not with any vegetation around it, just for nice. a few days so the yes. rain can get in it before it goes anywhere else. Yeah. It works quite well. Um, so what are the important things to remember? Storing, anything about storing matches, lighters? Yeah. Fire starting equipment? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you've got kids keeping um, matches, lighters, anything that can start a fire completely out of out of reach. Um, I, I mean, we run a wonderful program called Firewise in schools. So I'd like to think that a lot of a lot of young people uh, know to keep away from matches, that they're not toys. Um, but yeah, just making sure that they're kept well away. Because they're always tempting. Yeah. Yeah, I think no matter so. what they get taught, I think they always at some point want to try lighting a match just because, you know. Yeah, interesting. Curios- curiosity. Mm. Um, what about, I just thought I had another question there about, you know, little lucifers and stuff. Mm. Not much. If they're, if they're kept in the container, they come in and everything. There's not much risk of them I don't spontaneously so. combusting. No. <laughs> no. So um, electric blankets yeah, uh, a bit of a source of problems, aren't they? Mm. Um, and, you know, how we store them. So what problems can arise here? Yeah, so um, again with expiry dates, and I think this this is surprising. I was talking to a group of women recently um, and they were mortified by the idea that actually your electric blanket should be replaced every five years um, with yeah, newer safer models um so 
if if you are to, if you were to notice uh, any any sign of wear on your current electric blanket, it it it's probably time to <laughs> to replace it. Um, the other thing is it should always be flat um, on the bed, uh, and when you take it off, um, roll it, don't fold it. Um, so. Um, yeah, when obviously when it gets warmer and we don't need our electric blankets, I think that there, it can be tempting to yeah fold it away and um, and put it in the cupboard. But that can yeah definitely damage the cords, which can cause fire. So um, if you're going to take it off the bed, we recommend rolling it. Mm. Um, and then obviously also making sure those cords that are attached to the electric blanket aren't twisted um, or yeah. Um, yeah, everything yeah. is flat, as I said before. And you shouldn't go to sleep with it on either, should you? No, although I know it's tempting. A lot of people do that. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's a um, tough one. <laughs> no, I don't use them actually. I, they always, well, especially with kids, I just don't know. I don't, know, I, I don't because of everything you've just said, mm. I do think there's a risk involved in electric blankets. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That, yeah, it can be a bit yeah. scary. Mm. Mm. Um, so heaters and drying mm. clothes, like you said before about the yeah. heater meter rule. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, I think I think um, it's a great campaign from Fens. I think heater a meter from the heater is, is, is yeah. very easy to remember. Um, and that's another thing, I guess, uh, people don't always think about is um especially in Dunedin you know you're drying you're trying to dry your clothes and, and it's not working and it's winter time and it's cold and what have you um but yeah keeping that clothes horse at least a meter away um and never drying anything directly on top of of the heater is really important um the other thing to keep in mind is also um heaters should be cleaned of dust regularly um i don't know <laughs> we've got one of those um old bathroom heaters uh in the bathroom obviously and um when you turn it on and it and it really smells of of dust that mm-hmm. is is not ideal so um yeah right. giving it a good vacuum is is what we would recommend so multi boards and cords are another sort of risk area, aren't they? Do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about multi board safety, plugging appliances in? Yeah, I mean, again, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's, it's like the electric blanket. You know, we we use them for a reason. Um, so multi boards are obviously great because they allow us to have multiple appliances plugged in at once um, but with that comes the threat of of overloading them um, so we like to say never plug an adapter or multi-board into another adapter or multi-board which is called daisy chaining um, and we see that sometimes when obviously there aren't enough power outlets um, and, I, and I know that that can be tempting um, so just making sure that leads and cords are in good condition and not frayed um, uh, never putting extension cords under carpets or mats um, and avoiding using them while they're tightly coiled uh, and then also ensuring furniture doesn't rest on top of electrical leads. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, yeah, it, it's not meant to be a permanent replacement to your home's internal wiring, um, which is a tough one. I think, you know, we all know how expensive it can be to get the 
the electrician out. But um, yeah, if if you're constantly relying on multi boards in your home, then then perhaps there needs to be a, a better solution. And so the, you would suggest like a clothes dryer is um, plugged directly into the wall, yeah, rather than yeah. multi. Yeah, and so what about uh, anything else with clothes dryers? Yeah, so. Um, um, Again, <laughs> super great in Dunedin. I don't know where I would be without my my dryer. Um, overloading them and lint are the biggest problems here. So I actually, I think I I know that newer dryer models um, won't go if there is a lint buildup, which is great. But um, good practice is to be removing your lint at the end of every use. Every yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, and so can you run us through an emergency scenario um, you know what will happen when people ring one one one, or well, also what they would do if yeah. they were stuck inside. But also, you, you know what, what happens if you actually ring one one one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's a it's a really good question. It's one I think there needs to be more discussion about. Um, so obviously, the get down, get low, get out line is exactly. Um, what people should be following, and while remembering their pre-planned escape. Um, pre-planned, pre-prepared escape plan. Um, so, and then also if you can remember to close doors behind you, um, that is is good in terms of uh, buying you some more time as well. Um, so when you call 111, an operator will ask you whether you need fire, ambulance or police. Um, ask immediately for fire. Um, ambulance and police may also attend, but the first priority is to get a fire appliance on the way. Um, always call 111 if you need a fire engine. Don't call your local fire station. I think that that is a really important message there. Um, then you'll need to give the operator on the other end the following information, um, your house number, street name, the nearest intersection, which is interesting. I didn't know that one before I started at Fins, so I wouldn't have known um, to, to say that. Obviously, they'll ask you, but having that in your mind pre-prepared is, is good. Um, and obviously, the suburban city, you don't want to send them to Palmerston North if actually you're in Dunedin. Um the other thing then is once they know the location of the fire, they'll ask about the nature of the emergency uh, and whether anyone is injured or trapped. And at that stage, if you can't get out of the house um, and, you know, the, the doors are shut and you're, you're – um, yeah, you're there and you're speaking to them on, on the line. Um, telling them exactly whereabouts in the house you are um, is, is really important. And then what happens when the first responders arrive is they will, um, that will be their first point of, of, of action when they get there um, to go straight to the person that is, is stuck in the house. Yeah. Does that, <laughs> is that yep. make sense? Yes, yep, perfect. Wonderful. So what about if someone sees a fire in someone else's house? Yeah, so if you see smoke or fire or believe that there's risk to people or property, always call 111 and ask for fire. Um, if you're not, Even if you're not sure whether it's an emergency or not, um, best to call 111. So most important safety message to take away today? All of it? <laughs> um, yeah. No, but if you're going to pick one thing, um, the importance of working smoke alarms and a well-considered three-step escape plan is perfect. Yeah. So tell us where people can find fire and safety checklists and further information. Yeah, so the Fire and Emergency New Zealand website is a great resource for answering all of your fire safety-related questions. So just, yeah, Google Fire and Emergency 
NZ. Um, but you're also welcome to get in touch with our team um, on the Otago Fire and Emergency NZ Facebook page or by emailing us at Otago District hyphen CRM team at fireandemergency.nz um, and we are always available to give any um, risk reduction advice or yeah even actually come come to your home and, and check out your smoke alarms. Mm, it's a great service. Yeah absolutely. Uh, so um, thank you um, Nami, Namihi Kiakwe Ali for joining us today and sharing all the important fire safety advice, information and tips. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the um, resettlement in Aotearoa show. And thank you, Spencer, for hosting us in Otago Access Radio. And everyone remember that Citizens Advice Bureau, we help people to know and understand their rights and we offer free confidential advice and information about anything for anyone. You can call Dunedin directly on 03471 or use our nationwide free phone 0800 We're transitioning back to face-to-face, so if you would like to see us for a face-to-face, um, just ring at the time you might want to come in and if there's a volunteer available and there's no other clients on site, you, we should be able to see you. Also visit our website www.cab.org.nz for answers to thousands of questions or to explore our community directory with over 500 local services and organisations. And email inquiries and online chat are also available on our website. So kia ora everyone, thank you, have a great evening. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.